Hello everyone, and welcome to the August 19th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Kyle Eubelhart with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court has agreed to review the controversial Court of Appeal Valdez decision that allowed unauthorized non-MPN physician medical reports to be admitted into evidence. An oral argument is now set in that case for September 4th in San Francisco. This is the case where Elaine Valdez was sent for medical treatment to the employer's MPN, but she then began treating with a non-MPN physician upon referral from her attorney. The WCAB in a split en banc decision ruled that non-MPA physician reports are not admissible when the employer has properly complied with the MPN regulations. The Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB ruling in an unpublished opinion. The Court of Appeal reasoned that if the legislature intended to exclude all non-MPN medical reports, the legislature could have said so when it wrote Labor Code 4616.6, and indeed, it did not. Recently enacted Senate Bill 863 partially addressed the situation. After this January, any report prepared by consulting or attending physicians shall not be the sole basis of an award of compensation. A QME or authorized PTP must address any outside report and indicate whether he or she agrees or disagrees with any of the findings or opinions. And now for our fraud report. A CNN investigation into fraudulent drug rehabilitation clinics concluded that the Los Angeles region is one of the nation's top hotspots for healthcare fraud. CNN's Special Investigations Unit teamed up with the Independent Nonprofit Center for Investigative Reporting to conduct its undercover investigation. Reporters were stationed in parked cars outside the offices of Able Family Support in the San Fernando Valley, counting the people who came and went on October 4th. Sorry, April 4th. The clinic offers in-person drug and alcohol counseling and is reimbursed for taxpayers for each client it sees. But according to the undercover reporters, no more than 30 people trickle into the rehab center on April 4th. The counting resumed a month later when the clinic submitted its bill to Los Angeles County seeking reimbursement not for 30 people, but for 179. The government promptly paid it $6,400 for clients Able Family reported it saw on April 4th. When told of the April 4th stakeout at Able Family, county regulators said they have no questions about whether the payments were legitimate. The simple stakeout on April 4th raises questions about the adequacy of government oversight. The investigation also found that people ineligible to run Medi-Cal clinics did not just slip through the cracks, they walked through doors regulators left wide open. Felons are supposed to be blocked from running clinics. That didn't stop the Able Family Support Clinic's director, Alexander Ferdman. He entered the rehab business two years after leaving a Texas prison, where he served time for orchestrating an organized crime scam. Over the course of the following decade, he built his rehab clinic into a $2 million a year operation, all from taxpayer money. CNN claims that Medi-Cal paid out $94 million in the past two fiscal years to 56 clinics in Southern California that have shown signs of deception or questionable billing practices. This represents half 
of all public funding to the program. And in regulatory news, the DWC has approval of its final version of the Interpreter Services regulations. Thus, these new regulations went into effect on August 13th. The regulations specify different standards for interpreters based on where services are provided. The first standard applies to interpreters providing services at a hearing, deposition, or arbitration, while the second set applies for those interpreting for a medical appointment or medical legal exams. Interpreters must be certified or provisionally certified to qualify to be paid for interpreter services at a hearing, deposition, or arbitration. Names of certified interpreters are listed on the State Personnel Board of the California Courts webpage. Provisional certification indicates that an individual has been deemed qualified to perform interpreter services when a certified interpreter cannot be present. Provisional certification is made by agreement of the parties, based on a finding by the WCAJ at a hearing or by an arbitrator conducting an arbitration that the interpreter is qualified to interpret. Interpreters must also be certified, certified for medical treatment appointments or medical legal exams, or provisionally certified in order to be paid for interpreter services at a medical treatment appointment or medical legal exam. Interpreters certified for medical treatment appointments or medical legal exams qualify through successfully passing the Certification Commission for Healthcare Interpreters exam or by passing the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters. CCHI certification or credential indicates the name of the interpreter and the language for which he or she is certified to provide interpreter services. CCHI credentials are valid for four years and specify the language the interpreter for which the interpreter is certified. The National Board certification is valid for five years. Proof of certification may be requested by the claims administrator and shall be provided by the certified interpreter for the purposes of medical treatment appointments and medical legal exams if the interpreter is not listed on the CCHI or National Board website directory. Interpreter services FAQs with additional information on the new regulations are posted on the DWC website. The Office of Self-Insurance Plans launched a new e-filing portal for public self-insured annual reports. This new feature enables public agencies to submit their employers' annual reports and workers' compensation claims totals electronically. Both reports are required by regulation and must be filed annually by October 1st. Christine Baker, Director of the Department of Industrial Relations, said that this e-filing tool provides a faster, more efficient method for public agencies to meet their requirements for self-insurance. A user's guide is posted online containing detailed instructions on how to access the portal as well as shortcuts from e-filers. The OSIP office also mailed user IDs and passwords to the registered contact person for each agency last week. Self-insured public agencies in California employ approximately 1.9 million employees. One of every eight California workers is employed by a public agency, such as a school district, city, county, police fire, university, local district, or member of a joint power authority. In a medical news, ICD-10 is the 10th revision of the International Statistical Classification of Disease and Related Health Problems, a medical classification list by the World of Health Organization. It provides codes for diseases, signs and symptoms, 
abnormal findings, complaints, social circumstances, and external causes of injury or disease. The deadline for the United States to begin using the 10th revision is currently October 1, 2014. The deadline was previously October 1, 2013 and has been extended. All HIPAA-covered entities must make the change, but non-HIPAA-covered entities such as workers' compensation, nursing homes, and home health agencies should not forget the impact of ICD-10 will have on them. While non-HIPAA entities are not mandated to switch the new code, set the changing tide will sweep them along with the complex transition whether they like it or not. Staying with the old code set, which will not be mandated and updated until after 2014, might be more trouble than it's worth. Technically, workers' compensation insurance could demand all provider claims to contain ICD-9 cones for as long as they please. But the undue hardship that would place on medical provisionals has been deemed too great by some large insurance plans, such as the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation, which is planning to use ICD-10 after the implementation date. And payers such as workers' compensation and property and casualty insurance do have a vested interest in the detail and specificity provided by ICD-10. They will spend less time pestering physicians for more and more documentation to validate a claim or an injury, reducing the administrative burden for everyone involved. Insurance industry groups have been planning for the ICD-10 switch alongside their medical peers with major organizations such as the Work Loss Data Institute and the National Council of Compensation Insurance updating their documentation and handbooks accordingly. But just as medical providers and payers are struggling with the requirements for the complex and costly transition, non-HIPAA entities are also facing challenges. A new study says that doctors who are most worried about malpractice suits are more likely than less fearful colleagues to order extra diagnostic tests and refer patients to emergency rooms. The researchers claim that the practice of so-called defensive medicine is one of those things that everyone knows goes on but does not know how to control. Defensive medicine costs more than $55 billion annually or 2.4% of the U.S. healthcare spending. The new study found, for example, that almost 30% of patients with lower back pain seen by a physician with high malpractice concern were given additional imaging services compared with 18% of patients who saw a physician with low concern. The study also found that physicians' level of malpractice concern didn't change, even if they were practicing in a state such as California, with medical liability reforms like caps on how much money patients can claim in damages. Decades ago, physicians were not paid by a fee schedule. Instead, they were paid by their usual and customary fees, which was an open-ended, essentially unragged payment scheme. It was replaced with a pay-for-procedure scheme by government and most insurance companies. This is the basis of our current workers' compensation official medical fee schedule. Most medical procedures are listed in the OMFS, next to the formula for computing the maximum fee. The more procedures performed, the more the fee. The physician is not paid for success or the outcome of any procedure in the OMFS. An alternative to the current pay-for-procedure fee schedules is a pay-for-performance system, where the formula for payment also takes into account 
the quality of the physician's work or the outcome. This method will theoretically improve medical success. Physicians have been dreading this next step and most would prefer to be paid for procedures irrespective of the outcome. In a now key house subcommittee approved a bar bipartisan proposal to repeal Medicare's physician payment formula and replace it with a system that rewards doctors for high quality care. Under the bipartisan proposal, Medicare would switch to an enhanced fee-for-service system in 2019 that would provide physicians with payment incentives based on their performance on certain quality measures. The quality measures would be based on care coordination, clinical care, patient experience, patient population, and safety. The draft proposal calls for providing physicians with feedback on their performance and meeting the quality measures in as real time as possible, but at least quarterly. The California Workers' Compensation Fee Schedule under Senate Bill 863 will be based upon the current Medicare RB RVS system. It would seem logical that as the federal system migrates to a pay-for-performance system, so would the OMFS. And in financial news, Excess workers' comp insurance has a challenging line underwrite because it guarantees the payment of catastrophic workers' comp claims that can remain open for decades. But it's precisely for that reason that self-insured employers want to purchase the excess coverage from an insurer that will be around for decades to come. It's also why few underwriters offer the insurance as a standalone product. And now, American International Group disclosed in a 2012 Securities and Exchange Commission filing that it had ceased writing standalone excess workers' comp coverage because of its extremely long tail and risks. Issues that escalate costs such as obesity, opiate pain medication usage, and Medicare set-aside requirements have pushed excess workers' comp underwriters to raise their prices and demand that clients assume greater retentions. And that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news, updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Kyle Eubelhart with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Drop by again next week for more news.